My name is Erin Weideman, and you are listening to Heroes for Her. This series features candid conversations with real women who strive to balance their professional acumen with their personal values. Join me as I interview positive female role models who are working hard, loving others, and inspiring the next generation of girls to serve their unique purpose. Hi, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of Heroes for Her. I am so excited for this episode. Joining me is the amazingly talented singer-songwriter, yes, but a woman who is following God with all of her heart, Mariah Peters. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So excited you're here, Mariah. Would you give everybody just a brief introduction to you? You grew up in Southern California, your family, your childhood. Just tell us a little bit about you. Yeah, I was born and raised in Southern California in a city called Chino. Uh, It's mainly known for a prison and cows. I was going to say, I grew up (laughs) close to there, and that's exactly what we think about when we think of Chino. Yes, (laughs) yes, it's true. But it's, it's, you know, about 45 minutes outside of Los Angeles, so you feel like you're in it, but not entirely, which is nice. I went to high school at a school called Don Lugo, public school, 5,000 kids. High school, contrary to most people's stories, was one of my favorite seasons in life. I had a great just community of friends and just exposure to all kinds of different types of people and different stories. And high school was really where I started to grow a heart for Uh, young women and and speaking to my peers and my girlfriends about the things that are deep down and rarely come out. And so since then, since I graduated high school, I have been living in Nashville and using music sort of as as a catalyst in order to have that conversation. So awesome. So when you were, I mean, when did you discover your love of music, your talent, your passion? Was it early on or did you develop it over time, over many years? Early on would be a stretch. I mean, I, I've been taking vocal lessons since I was about six. I still take them now. And when I first started out, I earned the nickname Froggy because my voice sounded like this. And like the way I sung was so gross and appalling and nobody ever wanted to give me the children's solo for the church choir. And uh, But I've always loved singing and I've always... I think just had an ear for music. I, I, My dad's a judge, but he's also a bass player. So I grew up with jazz and funk music. I was not allowed to listen to pop, only like standards and Shaka Khan and Sade. <laughs> and I, I thank my parents for that now. And yeah, I've always loved music, but it really wasn't until I think I was, I think it was about 14 when I first started to realize the power of music and the potential that it has as an art form just in our culture. You can sing things that you can't necessarily say to someone. And that's a very powerful and dangerous thing, I think. I totally agree. I spend a lot of time singing to my young daughter when when I put her to sleep. And it's there's just something mm-hmm. different about the words that you're singing over them versus let's sit down and have this meaningful conversation. And like she's two, but you get yeah. the idea where yeah. just when 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 it's lyrics and it's it's just more powerful and it's different in some way. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, definitely. So you grew up in Southern California. Your dad's a judge. Did you want to follow in his footsteps? I, I read a little bit about just your being accepted into this pre-law program and just kind of 
you know, working your, your way through that with the Lord. Can you talk a little bit about how did God close that door abruptly or did, did you just kind of like ease your way out because he was pointing you in a different direction? Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, the whole door analogy. I actually feel like sometimes God leaves multiple doors open and gives us the faith to uh, step forward and walk through one of them. And sometimes it doesn't even come down to one thing being better than another. It's sort of like this, I don't know, we call it a gut feeling, but I think it's more of a just being in tune with the spirit. I was very, very focused on school pretty much my whole teenage life and got a scholarship and um, was even in, had gone to freshman orientation for a college out in California and was really ready to step into that. And at the same time, I had just gone out to Nashville and recorded a few demos. And uh, I remember coming back home to California and just praying with my family, praying with my parents and asking God to just make it very obvious what he wanted me to do because there were no doors that were closing. It was just this like open horizon of endless possibilities. I think a lot of young women face that sort of being overwhelmed with options after you graduate high school because there's just the world that we live in there's so much that you can do and you it's hard to know what what to, where to put your focus and your energy but we prayed very specifically and 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 asked that God would make it clear and he did just through a couple things just the people that we were talking with out here in Nashville the label offers that we had gotten everything was had somehow just become obvious. And it came down to me saying to myself in my own heart, it would be wrong to not move forward and to risk and to explore the wild world of music at 17 years old. So I moved to Nashville by myself. (laughs) That's amazing. So where did your audition for American Idol sort of fit into that picture? Like, I've heard you give that interview before. Will you just let everybody know? Because I think a lot of times girls today think they need to step out and do this big thing for God, or they've got to have this big platform or following or number of followers, whatever it is. But it just, it feels like a lot of pressure to perform and a lot of pressure to, to rise up and be this thing. And... You auditioned for American Idol, and your audition, I think, it sounded like it surprised you. Would you just share that story with everybody? Yeah, yeah. If it if it wasn't for stepping out and auditioning for American Idol, I, I don't think I would be here today. And that was a that was a kind of a scary thing for me at the time. I mean, I think it's always a nerve wracking thing to open up your heart to a group of strangers and um, make yourself vulnerable and susceptible to criticism. That's never a comfortable experience. (laughs) But I find that the times in life where I feel like my story has progressed by a lot have been in the moments that have been really uncomfortable and really scary. And American Idol was one of those things. And if I mean, through through the audition, I met the people who brought me to Nashville. And they're the Green family. And to this day, Wendy Green is like my second mom. Her kids are like my siblings. I I love them very dearly for seeing a girl who had just stepped out of the American Idol experience and thought everything was over. And they really gave me an opportunity to begin. 
That's so amazing too, because in your words too, like it was over, it felt over, but it was just God beginning this this amazing work. So you get to Nashville. Do you know anybody? No, I know the Green family and I know a guy named Joel because (laughs) Wendy Green introduced me to him at a wedding. So those are the only people I know. (laughs) He told me that story. He was like, he he told me that story when when I interviewed him in October. And if if you're listening right now too, we had Joel Smallbone from For King and Country. That's Mariah's hubby on the podcast a few months back in October. It's episode 26. So you are working in Nashville. You're, you know, you're getting your feet wet. You're meeting and forming relationships and just God's connecting you with different people. And your first album releases in 2012. What was that like? Oh, that was, I think the, the release of my first album was the time where I walked through the, those were some of the most formative years for me, I think, because it's one thing to be 17 and you know, living on your own out in a state and part of the country that you've never been to, you know, 2000 miles away from family and friends. And, but, you know, I had a a record deal. I, I, my schedule was booked with writing sessions every day and I was safe. I was, you know, was safe with the green family in a lot of ways, safe in the dating relationship that I had. And, when I started touring and released my album, all of a sudden I was exposed to a world that was not as safe. So, I mean, in, and that's the, in the most practical sense, like, you know, when you're playing a concert at an arena opening for, you know, nine other bands and you are running your own merch and signing after concerts and the last, literally the last one to leave, the last one to have an opportunity to shower, and you're in the belly of an arena in a men's hockey locker room, like taking a shower and the lights won't turn on, and the buses are loaded and ready to roll with or without you. It gets a little scary. It gets a, a you know, you start you start kind of needing to make decisions to keep yourself safe, not so much because somebody's telling you to, but because you're in the position where it's like time to be a, a grown up and, and make those choices on your own, I suppose. So I think the touring years, particularly with that first album as a solo artist were really difficult, but I'm so eternally grateful for that time because had I not walked through that, I would not appreciate my band the way that I do now. I've got an all-girl band, and I count them as sisters now. And um, we've got a great road manager. We've got a great merchandise manager. And so now that I have this incredible team around me, I <laughs> there's more than empathy. You know, there is there is true community because I I I know what every role takes, and I know what it's like. So. Yeah, I'm grateful for that time. Super cool. So, and just to give everybody context, so you released the first album, 2012. It's unbelievable. It's called I Choose Jesus. You married Joel about a year later. And then did you immediately go on tour? Mm, pretty immediately. I know that we we went on our honeymoon and then we flew straight from Tahiti to Minnesota for a festival. That's like two uh, total it, extremes of weather and yeah. culture. <laughs> Yeah, it's true. It's true. So yeah, we we dove in pretty quickly. 
That's pretty cool. So, and I wanted to just mention too, so you married Joel. It's July 2013. You waited until your wedding day to have your first kiss. And I know staying pure was really mm-hmm. important to you. It, you know, in today's culture, and and my daughter's really young, but we've got a lot of listeners with with kids in, in the age range where this is starting to feel new and real. And, you know, you're just tr- starting to size yourself up. And what are all the other girls doing versus what am I going to do? Yeah. You know, what would you say as somebody who was able to wait that whole time and have that amazing kiss on your wedding day and have that be the first moment where I'm sure there was like a rush of emotions, but what would you say to the girl who's like, wow, I I don't, I just don't think I can do that. Yeah. Well, a couple things. My parents never told me to do it. (laughs) That's one thing. I think had my parents told me to save my first kiss for my wedding day, I definitely would have not done that. <laughs> that makes a hundred. That makes total sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> my parents have always been very loving and trusting, and my dad has. I think from the time that we were real young, my my older sister and I, he has always set the standard for how a man should treat a woman. You know, he would take us out on daddy daughter dates and. And he may not have verbally said much, but I think his actions were shaping subconsciously in our minds what we deserved and what was right as far as interaction was concerned and what was wrong. And so when I first made the decision to save my first kiss, it it wasn't a very spiritual one at all. It was incredibly practical, which... Uh, arguably, I think spirituality is a lot more practical than we think, but it was a lot more along the lines of like, okay, you know, my best friend just had her first kiss with some guy that, you know, she does not like at all over a game of spin the bottle. And like, is that going to be my story? Like call me overly romantic, but I, you know, I love a good story and I would love to be able to like share something special with my friends and with my family when talking about a first kiss, be it at the altar or be it before that. And so at first it was just this like, oh, I'm just going to be a bit more careful. And as I got older and got into high school, I realized that it was actually an interesting litmus test for guys. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I didn't have guys like lining up to like (laughs) want to kiss me. Like that was pretty much the opposite of what it was. So having braces and acne definitely helps if you want to (laughs) follow. Ward them off. (laughs) (laughs) But I, you know, in the few relationships I had, one in particular, I really, really liked the guy and thought that there could be like a serious future, you know, like you start thinking when you're like 16, 17 and you start, you know, that's like the earliest that you start hearing about people that are high school sweethearts and stay, you know, and stay together their whole lives. And so I started thinking about that. And when I mentioned the whole, like, Hey, can we, can we wait to kiss like potentially until oh, like if we ever wanted to like even think about marriage. Like, I don't even know if I even said the M word at the time, but I just, I just didn't want to kiss in that moment. And he got really uncomfortable and kind of upset about it. And I remember in that moment kind of realizing like, okay, so maybe if he's not willing to stick this out and stay with me, 
for the sake of friendship and conversation and a real relationship, like then what is he trying to get out of this? You know? So I started kind of having those thoughts in high school and, um, and again, just kept with it. And for, you know, I had, a, I'd have conversation with friends who were just like, that's interesting that you're doing that. And like, why do you, why do you want to do that? And then I had some friends who were, you know, kind of wanting to, to do a similar thing. And I think, it becomes difficult because it's, I think when you, when you don't, when you're kind of in a surfacey relationship or a brand new friendship, it's kind of easy to call the shots and just be like, okay, we're not going to do this. We are going to do this kind of that. But when you really love somebody, I think it costs a little bit more. And I really felt that with my then boyfriend, now husband, Joel, I felt like it was a real sacrifice for him and for me. And I think that's what made my respect for him so much even deeper than it than it already was. So I would recommend it to anybody who feels called to do it, but I definitely wouldn't say it's a necessity or a matter of right or wrong. So you, you know, you get married to Joel and you guys happy wedding anniversary all the way in July, but you're gonna it's been four years, right? Yeah. So awesome. So early on, though, your marriage with him faced a few challenges. I know you were touring and you got super sick. Will you walk us through what happened? And I mean, did that come out of nowhere? Like what what happened there? Yeah, I had always had like digestive issues like in high school and it was kind of more sporadic. But when I started touring a lot and adding a lot of stress to my body, I started started to really experience some severe pain and issues. And, and at one point, I think at the worst, it put me in the hospital for about 12 days. I got sick on like the first day of a tour and the tour had to go on without me. And I I think even spiritually, there was a lot that happened during that time, even while I was just in that hospital bed, just really thinking about what I was thinking about because I didn't have the strength and the energy to get up and use the restroom or talk or anything like that. So when you're depleted of the ability, I think to distract yourself with action, you kind of start realizing where your mind is at by default. And so really just started having like battles in my own mind of like where I was, what I was thinking, where my heart was. And Joel was by my side that entire time, Joel and his mom, which was really, really sweet. I have a really kind, wonderful mother-in-law. Not a lot of people can say that, so I'm proud to say it. They can't. I'm uh, right there with you. That mine's amazing. <laughs> so I'm so fortunate. <laughs> yeah, very, very. But that was a, honestly, it was a an interesting way to start off a relationship because I think that was just a couple months after we had gotten married. And I think immediately we learned to cherish one another in a way where you realize that the other person is completely out of your control. Like it was not in his ability to fix me or to heal me or to help me. So he had to learn the art of release. And we're continuously learning that with each other. Every time I cough, he gets really scared. (laughs) Is everything cool? Yeah. (laughs) Totally get it. So what do you think, I mean, obviously God grew you guys closer together. You probably learned so much during that period of difficulty. What would you say is, is something that's just, you've carried with you since that, that time of struggle? Um, I've never really seen that 
kind of consistency in the sense of like you kind of only see it in movies like you're gonna think I'm terrible but my one of my favorite romantic films is A Walk to Remember. Mandy Moore (laughs) amazing. (laughs) Yeah it's like the one like love sob story that I just like will always go back to. That's one of those ones where if you're like scrolling through TV and it's on you always watch it. You just I'm gonna stop my day and just finish out this movie even though I've seen it I've seen parts of it 40 times. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) But you kind of only think that like it's in movies where, you know, a man could, you know, really care and cherish a girl like that. And I have seen both in my life and in that moment and in the lives of my friends, like I've got a friend, Alyssa in Chicago, who just got married and her boyfriend all the way through fiance, all the way through husband was by her side through every stage of cancer for her. And she, uh, I I sung at their wedding and it's amazing to see real life men who serve and love their girlfriends, their wives. I think oftentimes we are hit with the sort of disappointment of where men and women could be in today's culture, particularly in the church. Like I was just telling my friend the other day, I'm, I'm such a matchmaker. I was trying to hook her up with some guy, but I was like, you know what? There's such a shortage of guys. Like I don't, you don't I don't like to hook you up with anybody, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's nice to, to see men like, like my husband in that moment or if, like some guy friends I have in my life who genuinely, have good hearts and want to serve and sacrifice in the deepest of ways. Like those are real life heroes, knights in shining armor to me for sure. I married one of those guys. So I'm right there with you. (laughs) I met my husband a a year into my own cancer battle. That was nine years ago. Yeah. Nuts. But I totally get you. (laughs) So you released uh, your newest album, Brave in 2014. How was that record different than the first record? Very very different. I mean, the the first record I did was accurate to where I was in life at the time as a 17-year-old who was fresh out of high school and hadn't traveled much, hadn't experienced too much heartbreak or fear or anything like that. But by the time I started writing my second record, I had really had to come to grips with anxiety And uh, it was really stress and anxiety that had made me sick. And I think I had to deal with insecurity and at a level that I had never had to before, you know, night after night going on a stage and singing songs and feeling embarrassed and silly afterwards and fighting that. And, And then being in love for the first time, like I was very afraid of love, you know, my, my, whole life up until that point had been built around this concept of purity. And and I had almost allowed that to become a part of my identity. And for the first time, here was this man sort of threatening that in my life. So there were, there were, I think as it goes for a lot of people, I think the older you get, the more you experience, the deeper your roots go. And this second record was, was much more, it was just deeper for me on a lot of on a lot of levels. What's your favorite song on the album? Probably Brave. 
Yeah. Rooney and yeah, I, like we, to, we dance around to that one in the living room sometimes. <laughs> well, we talk about bravery a lot because our, our book about bravery just came out. So it's like it's close at hand and on everybody's minds over here. So we talk a lot about what it means to be brave and to do the right thing. And so we find songs that talk about being brave and your song is one of them. <laughs> Oh, I'm honored. Yeah. No, it's – we just think – I mean, what you're doing – and as we wrap up, just, you know, and I think this album too, and if you haven't haven't found this album, and Mariah, you can tell us maybe at the end of the episode where to find it and what the best place is to to connect with you. But I can't think – for the parents and for the mentors and the people who are – on the front lines, trying to battle back against the the loud noise of this world and to try to help this next generation rise up and let go of fear and stand bravely to fight with the Lord. Mariah and the work that she does, her heart, her creative talent, and just her walk with the Lord has allowed her to put some amazing songs out into the world. And if you are looking for a way to just lift up your daughter and help just drive these points home, these themes and messages about standing tall for the Lord and not being afraid, you've got to check out the work that she's doing. Mariah, I can't believe we have to wrap up. These episodes always go so fast. So you've been so gracious to be here with us. We finish out each episode with three rapid fire questions. It's called The Scoop. Are you ready? Okay. I'm so ready. Cool. So obviously the podcast is called Heroes for Her. We are all about celebrating real heroes and role models for girls. When you were a little girl, who was your hero? My dad. Second question. What is a piece of advice that you've received that has impacted your life in a powerful way? There's a pastor out in Southern California uh, named Rick Warren, and he's become a good, a good friend of Joel and mine over the years. And something he said when I talked to him a couple years ago was very impacting for me. And that was our job as Christians, as believers, is to build bridges in relationship between ourselves and and anybody we meet. And if Jesus just so happens to walk across, then great. But our job is to love people and yeah, I think that that mental picture always really stuck with me, particularly when it comes to people that you don't necessarily agree with on everything, which is most people. <laughs> <laughs> Amen, sister. <laughs> last <laughs> last question. If you could have a yeah. secret superpower, what would it be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you made a noise like an airplane just now. It made me think of flying. <laughs> I wish I could make things appear like I don't necessarily want I don't I don't want just like money be, I don't want to have the power of just creating money because there's like inflation there's all kinds of problems you that can <laughs> thinking that. all the way through but, the economics of that <laughs> yeah but there's a lot of like practical things that I need in my work right now like you know, stage risers, you know, a, uh, you know, lighting rig, you know, that kind of stuff. Like if I could just like think about it and it appear not having to pay for it, that would be fantastic. That sounds amazing. I'd probably make smoothies appear. (laughs) 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 But same thing. You need risers. I need smoothies. It's all good. Risers. So good. Mariah, where is the best place for people to find you and check out what you're doing? How can they reach out and connect with you? Yes, I'm on Twitter and Instagram, and I'm genuinely on there. Like, nobody else is checking that for me. Uh, my username is at Mariah Peters, M O R 
I-A-H Peters. And then my Facebook is Mariah Music. And I check comments regularly. I take social media pretty seriously. And I take letter writing very seriously as well. I get quite a few letters that I love to respond to in our uh, P.O. box, which is, I think that's that information is on Instagram as well. So yeah. Awesome. Well, we'll definitely be pointing people to you. Mariah, thank you so much for being here and have a great day. Absolutely. Erin, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed our conversation, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you have any questions, thoughts about the episode, or ideas about how we can come together and support our girls, we would absolutely love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at biblebells.com. Just let